0: was the rest of your weekend by the way
1: oh man i've just been sleep uh, i don't know if i told you i had like two hours of sleep the night before i just had insomnia then then, then nap oh, no. oh yeah it.
0: yeah you did tell me that
1: yeah Yeah. And for everyone we... in the, for, sorry i was hey. gonna say because we have people in the room now
0: so we should probably explain the context so for everyone in the room i met uh, i met t for the first time on friday yeah friday uh i went down to staten island to cover the uh, amazon labor union's press conference and I met up with like T, Amanda Yee, uh, Aaron and, and Daniel Mate, uh who, who else was there? Uh Jorge from Everybody Loves Communism and a few other people. So yeah, it was a lot it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, you know you know it was funny, uh though, when we were uh talking about it before and you were like, Yeah, I'm approaching middle age. I don't wanna, you know, party too much, you know, just anything simple, easy to do. But uh once the night started, you were you know, hard to rain in. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> I went home, and, and you were still going strong. Yeah, I closed the place down. What talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what was this guy talking about? all this? just talk about, yeah, middle age. I just, you know, I'm not trying to party. I'm not trying to do anything. You know, just a drink. Or I beer. normally yeah. don't.
0: No, it's because, uh, like, by, like, 11 o'clock, right when the second place, what was it called, the Broadview or something like that? But, like, the second place that we were at, um, when they were getting ready to close down, I was tired as hell because I'd been up since like like six o'clock that morning, right? So I was starting to feel it. Um, but then as soon as we hit up the third place, um, that that sort of hole in the wall tavern you took us to, and they were like jamming on some like nineties and early two thousands classics, I was like, "Oh, hey, to say, hey, get a second, I am back in my element. All right, we're good, we're good." You know. So plus, yeah. plus, like, uh, plus watching um, Adam and uh, Rory uh, get hit on by like club girls was was hilarious as hell to me. So I had to stick around for that.
1: Yeah, that was pretty that was pretty funny. You know what was uh, interesting was that uh bar once had a couple of tables open up, it wasn't, you know, that bad and there was a little bit of room. But uh yeah, it worked out it worked out okay that, that last that last place. It was a pretty good but yeah, uh our friend Adam uh had an edible <laughs> and he was not in shape to do anything and his and his girl just like, you know, kept like trying to hit on him and
0: Yeah. I, I was, uh, he dude, he'd only him and his girlfriend had only broken up a couple of weeks before, so he was in that sort of like the like, you know, the single guy in his late 30s kind of Zen phase where it's like, you've already gotten over the heartbreak, and Now you're just like trying to relax and chill. So you're really not trying to like have somebody else come in and, you know, swoop up as a replacement. He was just trying to like chill out. But there was this uh, this, this, this one lady that was like, she was choosing them so hard. And I think for the first probably 45 minutes of it, he was completely oblivious to it. He was just, he was enjoying his gubby high. Right, My man was just vibing. It was great.
1: I think about funny about that is I think like it's a typical guy thing where like when you're not looking for it, that's when it's gonna happen. But it's gonna be over the part. <laughs> he's, he's not gonna be on an edible. He's gonna want.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's he's, to he's gonna yeah, exactly. He's gonna be like he's gonna be swiping you know furiously on Tinder, trying to find somebody, and it's just, it's not gonna happen for him. It's not gonna work out for him. I know. I know how that goes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, today's topic is i think pretty self-explanatory it's about uh two articles that were kind of going around and um when was the black lives matter uh blm which uh, now stands for buying large mansions uh, (laughs) the buying large mansions (laughs) the buying large mansions article about the new six million dollar mansions and when the article was sent to me, I just thought they were rehashing the same mansions. I didn't realize, like, they, there was
0: more like mansions. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. You got to try to find out how many <laughs> mansions these people have. It's yeah, like no, but Patrice Cullors
0: really got, like, a little, time. she got a little real estate empire going on, you know, which, yeah. you know, just, just shout out to her.
1: You know? Yeah, she hit this one, like, pretty well. Like It wasn't even, like, a brand new. it's just the, the latest one they found out about, and it's, like, it's just kind of funny uh, that this mansion was uncovered, and... I think they were coasting on the laurels of the mainstream legacy media being on their side, like mm-hmm. because this article and the response to it kind of made me realize how much of their good reputation wasn't even about skillful money laundering. I thought they were actually very good money launderers or very good uh, ops. No, according to the article, I,
0: they were absolutely not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Once the media is not complicit in like, you know, softball in the, they're pretty. They're pretty awful. The excuses they were giving, the way they were handling it. Um, yeah, they're pretty. I mean, but to me, that just kind of reveals more how much of this is about media and and gatekeeper and watchdog malpractice than it is about any specific skillful con skills that these people have.
0: Yeah, and then there was the uh, the Donald Glover article uh, in which. And this this kind of goes to show the importance um and, and the skill that it takes to actually be a good interviewer. I think I think what happens oftentimes with celebrities is that they assume that because they're good at one thing, they can be good at all things. So that's kind of brought us into the the realm of the celebrity influencer, where a celebrity cannot just be good at acting or cannot just be good at music, cannot just be good at art cannot just be good at whatever. It it the, always the has mu- to be the
1: multi-hyphenate is the Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The uh the poly what was it? The, the the polymath is what they call them. Like you have to be good at everything. And it's like you can focus on just one thing and do that well and get by pretty good. Um I'm not sure where it became necessary for you to be good at all things, but it's it's kind of annoying. And, and especially when um like actors, athletes, uh, musicians, and so on want to be writers as well. Like they want to be um, like journalists or columnists or whatever. I think of like Lena Dunham or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Donald Glover is one of them that uh, just because you're good at writing music or even possibly writing scripts doesn't mean that you can do journalism very well. And there's a certain talent for asking uncomfortable questions that comes along with journalism, which you're, just, you're not going to develop it in a place like Hollywood, because there's always a point at which you stop asking questions and respect, I guess, like people's, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Like a right to privacy or just like not wanting to answer questions. But as a journalist, you're supposed to ask uncomfortable questions. And you're also supposed to deeply research your interview subject before starting the interview. And for somebody that I would assume knows 100% about himself, the interview that donald glover conducted on himself seemed like somebody who didn't know very much about donald glover going into the interview it's kind of wild
1: uh the one thing i say in is begrudging defense and this is like a backhanded um defense it's, it's a damning with faint praise kind of defense is most professional uh media critics and journalists aren't very good themselves so it's kind of like this was bad in a very specific way, but it was just bad in a different way than if they handed it over to the usual suspects that they handed stuff over to. Like I feel like the usual suspects is kind of, you know, softball everything and just kind of try to get on the good side because they want to give them a pitch of their own. Yeah, that's, true. And, and, that's true. And get and get put on like. like that's usually how to interview each Rae these days. Like, you know, like when did you first realize you were an icon and changing lives for <laughs> black, black women everywhere and yeah. being the first person to, you know, show this and, you know, how does it feel to be a mogul and change the world? It, like, you know, it's really stuff. funny.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. It was really funny. was, I remember, um, probably about three or four years into CNBC being a fairly large media property. Um, I forget. No, I'm pretty sure it was CNBC. Uh, and it was actually like not long before Occupy Wall Street. So it was at a, at a pretty like inauspicious time, um, somewhere around like 2009-ish, where uh, one of the interviewers was talking to some like Texas oil billionaire. And, you know, one of the questions that he asked him during the course of the interview was, you know, how, how, how does it feel to be a billionaire? You know, and this 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 Texas oil Billionaire with this fucking ten gallon hat just looks at the camera and just, hey, you know, it feels kind of good. And the rest of the interview was just like this this really like kinda softball, like you could tell that had they been in the same room, like the interviewer would have been giving him a hand job under the table kind of thing. Yeah. And at, at least back then, like people had the common sense and like the shared sense of shame to look at an interview like that and be like, That is that is fucking repulsive. But now it, that's that's like par for the course. That's how people interview celebrities.
1: Yeah, it's par for the course, and then I would say like seventy five percent to eighty five percent of what you get. Then you occasionally get, um, depending on who you are, not always. You get the piece that's like critical, but it's clearly like a hit job, and there's something like weird and personal uh, going on. And I think that's you know probably the other thing that Donald Glover could have ended up getting because the way some of these people react to this interview and we're taking stuff out of context Um, because there are so many legitimate reasons to hate this interview. I was looking at a lot of blue checks bashing it, and I'm like, this is like a tee-up. This is so many legitimate reasons to hate this. Why are you making up these weird agenda-driven reasons that aren't actually in the article? And seeing some of those people, I was like, okay, if you got to uh, interview him, you would have brought in all this weird, personal, like, insultish kind of baggage to to it so it's like i feel
2: it like-
0: would have been like yeah. how you know what kind of representation he has on the show atlanta and like the way that uh, certain people are depicted and so on and uh, it's also like one of the problems that i have with people's critique of atlanta is that uh, like even even though there are legitimate reasons to have criticisms of that show people never seem to touch on them right like yeah exactly
1: or sometimes the legitimate reasons Line up with their agenda. So then they'll have a legitimate critique just the same way a clock is. Um, right twice a day. Right, right twice a day. So, so to give one example, there was that episode written by his brother, Stephen Glover, that um, he has a scene in there, you know, because a lot of times they always feel like it's not affirming black women enough or validating them and all this stuff. And there's one episode written by Stephen Glover where uh, this black guy is at a party with a black woman. The, no with a white woman and this uh fine black woman um gets really drunk and nasty and starts berating him for being with this uh white woman and everything and you know I was kinda like I don't I feel like it's a nineties thing. I don't feel like that's something that's really gonna happen, especially not with someone that fine. Like she was way too like I don't know, I just it just didn't ring true to me. Like it was like this made me look kind of bitter and jealous of the White girl and everything, and I, like, I'm like, somebody like that is not going to be to me, uh, crying over this guy she doesn't even know. Uh, she, she can kind of write her ticket in the dating market. I, I thought that was just making like black women look kind of insolent and and you know, jealous. And I just don't really feel like that's like, like, like when, um. Spike Lee did it in Jungle Fever with Queen Latifah you know, acting a certain way. I kind of bought it there because that was like the time and the culture and everything. But I feel like people are kind of doing their own thing now and
0: you know. I do you do see what I'm talking about? The nineteen nineties as far as dating went, and as far as um as far as like mixed dating, I, I hate saying interracial because like it kinda it kinda validates the idea that there's such a thing as quote unquote race and there isn't, but like this idea that, uh, um, like there, there was a there was a a completely different kind of environment where it came to to mixed dating because not only were you um, separated by cultures but you're also separated by like geography. So things didn't look the way then that they do now. A lot of times, like white people had to go to black areas to meet black people to even date. You didn't have dating apps. You didn't have anything besides like like the old school methods of meeting people. So you'd have to go to like a bar or maybe you belong to the same church community. Um, maybe you had like mutual friends at work or something like that, but there was, there was a certain amount of effort that it took to, to go from like one community to the other. And I, I think that people don't have that kind of context because they grew up on the internet, they grew up with dating apps and so on. So it was really easy to meet people, but there was a way bigger difference in terms of the dating market in the nineties, I would say even like the early two thousands compared to now. And now I don't think people really have that hard of a time meeting other people. Like you might have a hard time meeting the person that you want, but as far as like meeting other people and uh, dating whoever you want to, you, you didn't have those social barriers to overcome to get to know people of like different ethnic backgrounds.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, but I was asking about the episode. Did you see the Atlanta episode with that?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah where watched. they were at a, they were at a house, where they were at a party, and they thought that Drake was going to be there, oh. and then he oh, yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah, there. It was, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Drake's. It was, it was one of Drake's houses, and um, you know, Homegirl met like this this one dude that was I forget if he was, like an actor or something like that, but like.
1: I think he was just a regular guy at the party. I don't think they was explained. He? Yeah,
0: No, no, no. I he was a he was a guy that in their universe people knew, um, oh, because so, like so,
1: so he was he was a big shot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, when 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 oh, the, the the
1: way, the black woman that yeah. By the way, Kamaria is in the uh, queue. Just in oh, okay, okay. Seen.
0: Yeah, I'm not. No, I didn't enough, see that. Yeah, yeah. No, and, oh but, shoot! But, yeah, I add you as mod.
1: Yeah, and please, um, better keep talking.
0: No, I was just gonna say that uh, it seemed like in universe people knew who he was because um when his girlfriend uh responded to her it was just like well maybe he just likes me because i'm a nice person and then he came and he like um sat down and he he said a couple of words to homegirl just to let her know like he wasn't interested and then he left and she kind of like was like almost like starstruck like oh he said something to me like he talked to me at all right so it, it seemed like in universe because i don't remember the episode all that well it was a couple of years ago but i do remember thinking that in universe this guy is somebody that people know
1: oh okay so then i I misremembered the thing i thought he was just a guy at a party with a
0: white girl she was acting on all...
1: like like i feel like a lot of black guys i think um oh and Kamari, you
0: can hop back up on the uh the queue i'm not sure what happened there
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. by all means please please hop hop up uh yeah like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of black guys today, like, white women, want to believe that, you know, every black woman out there is just, you know, seething and stuff. I think it goes in reverse, too. There's some black women today, white guys, who want to believe everybody is, like, you know, seething. And I just... I just and, The
0: thing is, like, uh, I I know too many normies. Like, this is why I get yeah. really annoyed by what I see on Twitter and on TikTok and Instagram, because I know way too many normies who just don't give a shit about this stuff. And I think a, a lot of this stuff is a lot of this stuff is just driven by people that spend way too much time online. And I think in a way it's self selecting because the reason that you have so much time to spend online is because you don't actually have people like out in the meat world that you're meeting um, and a social life that would prevent these kind of things from happening to you in the first place.
1: Yeah. But when people got on him for that scene, um, you know, I, I agree with them on that one. I was like, okay, that one is actually, when a few times you're actually critiquing him on something that I think
0: yeah, he really
1: yeah, yeah. did did badly. That and his stand-up specials. Like, his stand-up specials...
0: That had was... Really that was um, yeah, that was the same thing that Lars von Trier does. I've, I've, I think I've complained to you about this before, where occasionally Lars von Trier has this really bad habit of writing his words into his character's mouth. So, like, his character's mouth is moving, but it's really Lars von Trier's inner thoughts coming out. And I think that that scene was the way that Donald Glover thinks that black women think about him. And I think it just, I don't know, plays to this deep insecurity that he has about not dating black women. And rather than, I don't know, either, like there's only two ways you can go about it. Either it's like, you just don't care and you never address it, or you figure out what it is about you that has you not dating black women. And I think that that's something that a lot of black men probably should self-examine. Like, I, I know, black dudes that don't I don't know that they, they do with this on purpose but they end up dating white women and maybe they're not like purposely or consciously um removing black women from their dating pool but they just keep on ending up with non-black women and I think that there is something to examine there um I know that I had like a I had like a bit of a hot streak where like like women that I was da- that I was, was dating were not black but at the same time I was also like living in Windsor, Ontario so the choices were kind of The choices were kind of slim there, but, but at the same time, like there are people that will purposely and consciously, um, remove black women from their dating pool. And it's like, maybe that is something for you to examine. And maybe people who are saying something, maybe people who are saying something to you have a point. You don't want to hear it because you don't want to feel like you're less black, but maybe that is something for you to examine. And I think maybe there's something for him to examine.
1: And I think also given some of the weird jokes he made, like how he came really hard when a, uh, a white girl called him the n word during sex. Yeah, and, you know, he, he had this weird, he had this weird thing about how he dates um, the black women of every race. So like, you know, Asian. She likes to date Filipinos. That, 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 that sounds. Really
0: that's dumb. also yeah. That's I mean, it's not just dumb. It's also pretty foul. Like, so what, yeah, you basically yeah. say, what you're basically saying is that like Filipino people are like low class out of like out of uh out of Asian cultures but and, yeah and he said it like across the board he says like out of white women he
1: dates um kardashians uh, not kardashians um um armenians and all, that's not even none that's even ethically like true you just kind of yeah up because you're trying, yeah. To, you're trying to pick
0: yeah to I, I i don't date questions. white people i only date slavic people like well okay well who the fuck told you that slavic people,
1: people were people like are, are black lower class was- yeah 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 but but also like it's like it's all arbitrary like you're picking filipinos as the black people because they're dark and you assume that whoever's dark is lower but but there's like asian countries are like you know uh more maligned than filipinos even the asian
0: um yeah like cambodians for example
1: yeah yeah so so you're and it's not on the basis
0: of their skin color it's really just like i don't know it's it's the ethnic tensions that pretty much everybody experiences like black people experience the same thing like yeah there's jamaican people that look down on trinidadian people and there's some trinidadian people that look down on the like, continental africans and people from like south africa will look down on nigerians and shit like that and it's like it's not really based on anything concrete or logical it's just the eth- ethnic tensions that arise and oftentimes it's created by a colonial past so what you're kind of doing is playing into that and reifying it as if it's something that it that actually existed independent of colonialism,
1: and just projecting Americanness onto everything. Like you know, in America, you just look at who's the darkest person; you know they're black. So he's thinking yeah. that being the darkest person makes you the black person of Asians, and the world's more complicated than that, you know. And, and he probably just said Armenians because he knows the Kardashians—they black guys. So I'm, like, there was no research done there; it was very ignorant. So I mean, he's invited a lot of this stuff on to himself but at the same time it's so old who knows how he's evolved but who knows but i mean in my case uh, my wife is indian but well she's of indian descent she's not born in in india but uh before oh, her, she, yeah she's desi I, yeah but before her all my uh girlfriends were black so she was the first person i dated that was not uh black and we happened to get married but um like there's two things that people do i think when they're uh, black but not not with the black partner they make like these weird excuses where they blame like the other race for it somehow or they yeah uh blame like these these weird things you know and make themselves kind of like a victim and you know like divestors and other people do it whereas like uh black men just wake up and beat black women all day so i had to date this um white guy and then black guys would be like hey i was a nerd and they didn't give me any play because i was a nerd so i was forced to date you know non black women and stuff. Or they do another thing which I think is I was kind of cringe at was like The Rock did it and other people did it in interviews where they talk about I just want you to know I love, 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 love black women. Or, you know, <laughs> I love my I love my black I love my black kings and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And like in a like in a case like mine, even though uh every girlfriend I had before was uh black, once I'm not with a black woman now, I'm not gonna go say that. Even if it's uh, you know, True that. I typically, date black women, like
0: you know, the fact that you have to the fact that you have to bring it up as if it's something that you have to defend, kind of means that it's something within your psyche that feels guilty or less black because of it, and that you think to work out. That's not anybody else's problem.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a stupid thing to say now. Like, 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 why are you saying that now? You know, and and the Rock did it. He said like Black women have always done this for me. And that guy Elon James White did it. The, the, <laughs> you know, I want you to know, even though the I'm Thanksgiving dinner, the White, yeah. You know, yeah, even though I'm with the white women, black women have always held me down. Held me and,
0: down, like, yeah. Even, even when my, my racist in-laws made me eat Thanksgiving dinner outside of my car, you know, black women held me down with that. And it's like, bro, like, you could you could put me in a CIA black site for six years, and they would never waterboard that out of me, ever. <laughs> I,
1: I, yeah, but also it's kind of I idea that people are supposed to be flattered by that. Like, oh, wow, you know, right. well, well, thanks, yeah, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah yeah so
0: yeah thanks for I, thanks for acknowledging that you know we i don't know held your goofy ass down while yeah, you're going through your yeah. bullshit like yeah i know like yeah. I, 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 that's why you'll never see me like i don't know I, i'll talk about like my family and you know how much like how supportive they've been and, and so on but like i don't i don't know i really don't enjoy that that kind of pandering stuff because the people who are closest to me already know how much i appreciate them and know that they're closest to me and i don't have to go to proving to anybody else how much I appreciate them. If they know that I appreciate them, that's good enough. I don't gotta tell anybody else about that.
1: I actually think for people who care about that stuff, at the end of the day, they're not gonna care because uh, your final choice is not what they want it to be. So it, it, it'll be like, that'll be like, hey, you know, even though I didn't give you this business, right. I want you to know, I you were down I was thinking... to, like, the wire. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, well, fuck you. You didn't give me the business. Why Why, yeah. do, you, why do I care? What? what I yeah, like,
0: exactly. If I, if I knew that I was, like, down to your final five, but I wasn't hired, then what the hell do I care?
1: Yeah, whether I care if I was in the final five or I wasn't even in the running, I feel like. It's just, you're just saying this to placate your own, whatever
0: weird sense of guilt you are. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I really and, don't like that.
1: Yeah, and I feel like Donald Glover is uh, having all these, Problem that he's inviting on himself because he can't do the self-examination that you're kind of uh, talking about. But yeah, like we were saying, and people feel free to come in and talk about
0: either one of these
1: topics, even if you didn't read the article. If you just have well, to. We should probably about get
0: thoughts, into some of the substance of the article because there's a there's yeah, a couple sure. of parts that really bugged me. Um, one of them was okay. So y- <laughs> there's sometimes um, sometimes celebrities will will uh, they'll do this they'll start talking about things that the average person simply cannot relate to and doesn't really, I don't know. Like when, when I see interviewers play along with it, I'm like, either the interviewer is already living in their world, in which case they're a lost cause and they shouldn't be interviewing this person. Or they're too polite to say, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Could you explain more? And there's a couple of places where like, he does that literally to himself where he'll say like, uh, cool. What does culture mean to you? And then his home response to himself is the word is overused, but I think in its essence, culture is just for just us telling stories to each other. We all remember from being God. You mean like stories we've all forgotten as God? I'm confused. I think culture is just us telling each other the truth, being present together. I bring up God because I think there's no we. And I think that's how I make things now. I think of the moment when I want to give someone, but I make sure someone is me, not us. With niche culture, why be relevant? And he says, I hate niche. When I was really starting to make stuff back in the early 2000s, niche was the wave. Because it was safe and you can eat off it. Back then, you could eat off it a lot. But I think it didn't challenge people to figure out if they were great or not. This ain't a job to me. I'm in the influence game. And I think my world is better than most people's. So I'm trying to make the most people believe in my world. That's relevancy. And it goes on and on and on like this. And I'm I'm sitting there, like, as I'm reading this, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I'm sure this makes sense to you because you live in this kind of world where people will let you get away with all that. But for the average person, nobody can really relate to that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, And you know something else that kind of gets on my nerves about this stuff as well. Um, and I'll just put I'll just put uh, fattest into the into the queue. But something else gets on my stuff as well, right? Is when people are talking about this. A couple of people have said to me, "Oh, you're falling for his twelve dimensional chess. You're playing the, his game. He's trolling, and by you um, talking about it and taking that face value." you're falling into his, his his trap. You know, this is a genius interview. And I hate this idea of anything you do, if you can prove that you did it somehow on purpose, it justifies it. And what I would say is even if this was fake, that almost makes it worse. Because like you could have, like you you chose, at least if you're oblivious, you're actually this dumb or this crazy and you're being earnest. I can respect that more than if you actually contrive to make yourself look this dumb, like you had a chance to actually say something meaningful or shed some light and instead you chose to play a dumb game and I'm supposed to reward you it's like the post Andy Kaufman world I think, Um, I always thought Andy Kaufman was kind of like overrated, this idea that uh, you know, because you're fooling and playing games with the audience, that somehow makes you a genius, and to a degree it can be funny or whatever, but you're getting by on the idea that the audience trusts you so so it, it's basically like okay okay, congratulations. You just violated the um audience's trust. They just created this world where no one trusts anything anymore. Everything everyone just trying to peg what's trolling and what's not. So I, I agree with everything you say, but I also want to add the extra layer of in case anyone, you know, is want to say, Oh, I think this is a contrivance and this is a, a trolling, I think even if it's trolling, I think that actually would make it uh worse. And um to the caller if you want to unmute and jump in
0: uh feel free Yeah, so if you want to unmute, the buttons on the lower right hand corner of your screen the microphone oh. shape button there you go
1: uh there we go welcome
3: uh hey
1: hey how's it going
3: oh happy to be here happy you guys are doing the show you guys are great really appreciate uh all of it and thanks for uh including me
0: yeah anytime what's your uh what's your comment
3: uh, oh, uh, so my name's Foti, and uh, one of the things that, like, kind of prompted me to call in was this kind of gobbly uh but I, I, I've heard it paraphrased, like, we are the universe come alive to ponder its own existence, uh, and it's, you know, it's like a... It's, a See, solid- it's
0: like, yes, we, we understand that we're, like, made of atoms, yeah, and that they like have being sentience and yeah, yeah, who cares? Yeah,
3: and and th- there's, like, a few things I wanted to share with into the conversation, Uh, there's, there's so much. And especially with this like layered levels of like self-aware semi-troll and uh, with uh, Donald kind of adding more like chum to the frenzy. And now we're talking about him and it's like, and there's this aspect of almost like an endless navel gazing, which is like the flip of that universe come alive thing. And then, but, but kind of to veer it to one side, uh, uh, I, had a, I had an interesting experience very recently uh, that I, I don't want to go too detailed into, but the, the concept is basically uh, the tightening of our circles, uh, particularly when you have like fame and money and uh, like doors open, like in a way that Donald may have, and this challenge of maintaining perspective because it's kind of about, like, resource and power. So I kind of wanted to uh, stir a little bit of that in there.
0: Okay. Not I, sure think... what, I was going to say, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Would you mind, like, uh, clarifying a little bit?
3: Well, I guess, like, it's this this idea of, like, what kind of perspective and awareness does one have, particularly when they rise uh, along the echelons of, of power and being able to get things done. I, I, so... I,
1: I think yeah. I think I understand where you're going, and I was about to jump in with this and let me know if I'm on the right page, but uh, I feel like he's somebody who things went a little too easy for early on, and it's kind of gone to his head in that um I feel this way about Will Smith too when I, when I was talking about how I think Will Smith's kind of crazy, and that he's um he's kind of facing his first real setback way later than he should have so he doesn't know what to do because he was like like Will Smith really believed that all you got to do is work hard because the moment I started trying to work hard things opened up really quickly for me so all, all these people who didn't work out for this early you know they didn't work as hard or they didn't have the same thing when in reality a lot of people work hard but sometimes it's a mix of luck sometimes it's a mix of whatever but you know a lot of people who it's a long, hard climb and, you know, they have a lot of setbacks. When they finally, you know, get there, they kind of have a little more perspective about how much of it was luck, how much of it was hard work, how much of it was um, connections, et cetera. And I think, like, Donald Glover's kind of in that other category, too, of people who, from very young, he just kind of hit, like, a hot streak very early. He's, like, one of the youngest writers on 30 Rock, and all these different things. It, it, and I, I just think that that type of privilege, that type of um, power, like so young and everything, he really has to love a smell of his own farts. Like he really has to think that he's just that. that oh, dude. I,
3: I love you bringing that up. That's so substantial. And I, I was going to totally add that in. That's, that's so um, like crucial to the Donald Glover story. Uh, because you know Tina Fey was kind of like like semi-mentor, and uh, I think the Will Smith example is—I mean—that's going to be e- ever an example for you know modern pop culture, right? And he's been so prominent for decades, and he—they're he, both so interesting and they have parallels because uh, they're very young, they're very talented, uh, speaking to pop aspects of the culture. Uh, also digestible to like a mass market audience, like Donald being the, the quirky nerd. Uh, and then I can't, I'm not black, so I'm not, I'm very careful about how I'm referring to it, but just even like uh, Will Smith being the digestible version of black and Donald being like a uh, nerd skateboard type, like post Pharrell, like there's, there's so many parallels. And then...
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I would say it's probably even more digestible than Will Smith, like compared, compared to uh Donald yeah, yeah, Glover. It, Will like Smith a nerd. is almost yeah yeah, yeah totally
3: totally. Uh, okay, yeah. go on, go on. Oh and and, and the, what's so like you you almost have to have like degrees of like narcissism and ego to to make it in the biz, quote unquote. Or, I mean that's like a supposition, right? Then uh, there's layers of depending on what your artistry is, and you know a lot of us are never gonna really know what conflicts Will had 30 years ago trying to get the show to happen, et cetera? And it, it's not about justifying it, but we're also kind of uh, interested in the psychology and there's ramifications because they're also uh, in positions of quote-unquote influence and that is, itself is getting assailed. And I, I think that's what I appreciate you, you all doing and us doing is – Uh, it's almost like the actual thing artists are supposed to be doing is being critical and asking questions. And we're, we're kind of having this in response to being like, yo, like this is a little whack or weird or what the fuck or like, because when you're reading it, you're like, you're really using your, your fuel for this or like, yeah, you live in a great, like you've done great. Like I love Atlanta. It's great. And I, I, I appreciate so much of what he's done, but yeah, like your farts still stink, your shit still stinks, and like it's yeah, not and, all and, good.
1: And I love Atlanta, but he's making it hard for me with his personality. <laughs> like I try not to read what he does and what he says. And uh, we're gonna move on to the next person because the queue is building up. But oh, thank you so for much, your, guys. For, Keep it up. yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah, no problem. But I just want to address some things that that you you said before uh, Trayvon or Trayvon speaks which is uh for for context Glover was hired at age 23 by Tina Fey uh while he was still studying at NYU so uh he's still studying at NYU and he had, he had been doing these um comedy things with this group Derek comedy as an undergraduate like he was doing these these viral uh YouTube videos with his uh comedy collective and so he's in NYU, which is you know already gives you like a leg up being in one of those schools. He um, gets hired at 23 to write for a hit sitcom. Then he um, goes from doing YouTube videos, being at NYU, jumping straight to the top gig. Like people scrape and climb to get a network hit comedy writing gig, to a starring in a um, cult popular uh, sitcom community from 2009 to 2014 and it's gonna be hard to get some kind of perspective and not think you really are especially if you're black i think it's gotta be extra because i think it's very tempting i mean roxanne gay had that tweet uh to even get to be the token means you're better oh my
0: everyone. god yeah. yeah and the funny it's thing so is a lot of people agree. attacked no, a lot of people attacked her for that too and i'm like that's wild some of the people that i saw getting mad at her for saying that because The way that they conduct their professional lives, they're in total agreement with. Even if they don't agree with her verbally, um, the way that they conduct their professional lives, it's in agreement with her anyway.
1: But I was surprised by how many people straight up said, yes, cheer it, yes, love it. Like, you know, some people just straight up uh, openly agreed with her. I I think, I think
0: when, I think, um, it's something that you've alluded to before, which is that, um, a a lot of black people who uh, I want to say like, if they work in a certain milieu um, and they're backed by white people. So if you work in journalism, if you work in media of any kind, really uh, if you work in like, you know, the entertaining arts and so on, they'll go, they'll go on and do things that white people didn't even ask them to do. Because oftentimes I think that that's what they think that they have to do in order to succeed. And so keep those paychecks coming. And, I think there's a certain um, dignity that there's a certain dignity that people who can write the checks find in people that don't have uh, POC creators like coming around sniffing their thrones and like like sitting up and begging for them. So oftentimes you'll, you'll find people who quote unquote sell out, do so not because they're asked to or pressured to, but because they believe they have to. And I, I don't think you really have to do any of that. I think there's actually a, a more quiet dignity in saying what you want to say um, and being true to yourself and your principles. And like the, the whole idea of like selling out because, hey, everybody has their own price. I think that's what they kind of have to tell themselves for why they're behaving that way. When in reality, most people like who, who value their own principles don't have to do that in order to get paid.
1: And do you think to a degree, before we go to uh, Trevon, do you, do you think to some degree that um, Donald Glover is falling into the, to a version of that trap with this? I, um, think, he's,
0: you? I think he's deeply insecure with um, the kind of blackness that he himself has experienced throughout his life and what he feels like he has to represent um, versus what he feels he has to do in order to maintain relevance and get people to, to pay attention
1: but i'm asking you specifically about the tokenism question how yeah. do you feel uh how do you feel his approach what from the, for this interview what do you think is his approach i think his tokenism... approach to tokenism
0: is that like what he's what he's kind of saying behind all of this this you know metaphysical gobbledygook is that yeah i have sold out um but my life is good and look what selling out can do for you i think that's kind of what's behind all that
1: okay okay Got you, and and uh, Trevon, I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. So when you unmute, please let me know if it's Trayvon, travon or uh, something else, because I should know it right now. Hey, you can unmute by uh, tapping the microphone button. There you go. Ah, uh, there we go.
4: Hey guys, uh, thanks for the show tonight. Uh, it's pronounced Trayvon. Appreciate the concern. Oh, Thank Trayvon. you.
1: Trayvon. Okay, great. Yeah.
4: Bet. So I'm. Um, uh, yeah, this was pretty interesting like I had just finished reading the article about 10 minutes ago and um yeah it was first thing that came to my mind was narcissism There was a obvious pretentiousness but there's this weird insecurity like specifically when he's talking about uh he sees himself or he kind of makes the connection that he is God in a certain way like and then to say that his main goal is to be a, a influencer. So I feel like all of this like coming from off of uh coming from NYU and just getting the I, I guess
0: I have one question. I, I I sorry to interrupt you, but maybe you can clarify this for me. When people say that they are or want to be an influencer, my question is it like influencing what? What do you mean by influencer? I still don't know what that means.
4: I think think the answer lies in where he talks about culture and, like, how he doesn't really really give, like, a solid answer. I feel like it, it, for lack of a better word, he sounded kind of, like, cultish. Like, he wants the influence, like, he wants people to basically absorb his ideas, how he presents them, even if they're not exactly his ideas, but just stuff that he's just coming off of seeing – that's relevant, and he sees the the power in connecting to it. It just—I feel like he just wants to be the guy, like as you used to say, T. Like he, the guy at the beach who's like, you know, telling how the waves are like coming and showing whether or not the weather is going to be a certain way. I feel like he ultimately wants to be that, and it's very I weird think- because he can't. I think what's preventing him from being on that level. Is that he doesn't have a black woman market? I feel like if he had black women in his back pocket, he would be meteoric
1: yeah yeah i I agree, and I think um actually you said a couple of good things uh one thing I want to do to, to piggyback on what I think an influencer is I think an influencer to a certain degree the instead of I'm existing as a conduit to channel people to the art um the art exists ultimately to bring attention to me you know so it's like i think i think like an auteur a creator their work is going to be bigger than they are you know as in like most people know what gone with the wind is but most people don't know the name margaret mitchell the person who wrote it and i think celebrity kind of changes things where the creator becomes as big a deal as the work, and I think I think there's an artist, there's a celebrity, and an influencer. I would say the celebrity is like maybe fifty-fifty. Like, the, like for example, like Martin Scorsese is a author, an artist, but he's also very much a celebrity, and people kind of know his name as much as they know his works. But the influencer is just um pure unadorned like, like celebrity where the work is almost like a decoy or a secondary and i feel like Issa Rae is a great example like most articles about Issa Rae aren't about how great her work was but how she's blowing up and what a mogul she's becoming but how many people really talk about her work L- like for example what do you like breaking bad or not like some people like it some people don't some people think it's highbrow some people think it's middlebrow or some people like think it's lowbrow trash, but uh people still debate breaking bad to this day about is Walt a good guy or a bad guy, what's going on? Uh breaking bad is bigger than Vince Gilligan. A lot of people don't know who Vince Gilligan is. Some people are into the behind the stuff knows, but people have started have stopped talking about insecure and the mechanics of it and the art and the choices and the whatever, not just after it's been canceled but even after each episode airs it percolates on twitter for a couple of hours and you know there's a bunch of like gender war fighting and then people don't talk about the episode you know after it's like microwave popcorn it's like it's like, it's like french fries once it's out the oil it's un- it's inedible if you don't eat it like 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 right away you just you just move on like people are not going to be discussing the merits
0: of her yeah like is anybody going to do like a retrospective on insecure go back and <clears throat> watch the whole series through and pick apart some of the things that they missed the first time around that kind of stuff
1: no all i think that comes team- also
4: down to like uh ip my name as well like can your ip be immediately like spun off into something else i feel like that's like the main goal for content creators right now and what you said with like people like East ray like do you see anyone from that show getting a spinoff and like that being something oh. like breaking bad did with better call Saul? Oh, yeah, but...
0: Yeah, are they even even going to have careers past that show? You know, like, I think the only one that's really kind of... I mean, aside from Misa herself, like, the only one that's really doing anything um, in the wake of that show is Yvonne Orji.
1: Yeah, but even what she's going to do is going to be the same thing. She's going to do the same thing that Ethan Ray does. Just make a bunch of stuff that aggrandizes her. You know? Yeah. She, like like she's not gonna and you like, you know, the point of content creators is to make IP that you could mine. But I would say no. Like I would feel actual artists make stuff that you could mine. Content creators just make noise. Content creators are the miners. Like um like art and con a uh, work and content I think are two different things. And like uh Ray makes content. Like, you know, but uh, Margaret Mitchell who made uh, Gone with the wind even though don 't think it 's even that good uh book, and not because it 's racist, I just think it 's not a great book but it 's a it 's a work it 's not content it's, and, mm-hmm. and they're it 's and and they 're going to make spin offs of it they 're going to remind it you know they 're going to always do stuff, but I feel like content creators just have to make noise it 's like okay, I have to make something because people are going to forget me if i 'm not always making noise because um that's that's all all I'm good for. I'm only noticeable as long as I'm making noise. And I think to the degree that anybody else from something like Insecure or whatever um, spins off, they're gonna spin off from making a bunch of noise too. Podcasts, uh, forgettable comedy specials, uh, such and such. But yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna really do if they to the to the extent that they do retrospectives on ESA, like when uh, Insecure was done, and there were all these write-ups on it. They all said the same thing. this was game changing. it made black women feel seen it made uh, black educated people feel whatever and it made east Is- Raya uh a game changer and a mogul, but they don't actually say it's like, like what hey, did
0: it actually say like what what like what yeah, did you what, actually get from this show aside from representation
1: yeah and affirmation and validation like what were the themes what were the motifs nothing it's it's not it's not like that that at all and uh what's the the iconography Glover
4: what makes like people dress up as these people for halloween i mean not like necessarily like as like gimmicky just like because you love the character that they embodied and played like created like i don't see any of that i really don't yeah
1: and it bothers me with atlanta because i feel like he has actually done some uh artistically memorable episodes of that show that you know i think could really stand the test of time but he's treating himself like a content creator and I think he's going to diminish his work with dumb gimmicks like this interview I think you yeah. know like 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 he's like Ray. I think has to do it because her stuff is very vapid uh his stuff I didn't really think was vapid till I kept hearing him talk now like a lot of things he did I'm, I'm reconsidering like you know like maybe it wasn't that good like for example I found out one of his episodes was very likely ripped off from front of the show um M two McGant. again. Um, oh really? Uh yeah the the Teddy Perkins episode. If you Google like Teddy
0: no Perkins, really? Yeah,
1: oh yeah wow. yeah suppose
0: that was I was suppose. actually going to say that's one of the episodes because I was going to make a, a different case for Donald Glover in that many of the episodes of Atlanta are memorable in and of themselves and there there's at least like themes and. Uh, there's like something you can take away from the show. Go back and watch it a second time. Be like, oh wow, I didn't really catch that the first time. But the Teddy Perkins episode was one of the first ones I thought of when I was about to say that.
1: Uh yeah no no Google um M2 May M T U M E and and Gant G A N T. He's been on the show before. He's he's actually gonna do an episode with us uh this week. But um Google M2 May Gant. Uh, Teddy Teddy Perkins and there's a lot of people who feel like um, uh, Refinery Twenty Nine did did an article was Atlanta Teddy Perkins episode taken from a movie and um, multiple people have um, you know said said the same thing and it's a movie that uh, M2M did in 2017 called uh, Whiteface uh yeah yeah so um by the way uh trayvon i'm going to move on to jaspreet uh she's been waiting patiently but thanks so much for uh popping in and of course anybody who's been in the queue is welcome to come back up we just like to keep it moving so that people can uh talk one last thing i want to say M. Tume,
0: i would say Mtume is mad hum- is like, mad for somebody as talented and knowledgeable as he is he's mad humble Oh, and I think that's like the difference that. between, maybe that's like, I don't know, maybe this is, this is what it takes to succeed in this industry, right? Is that you just have to be a self-aggrandizing asshole and sacrifice art for the sake of, I don't know, making yourself the spectacle rather than um, the art that you're trying to promote.
1: But I also think part of it comes from having a long road to success versus just an overnight success where, because I think when you come to like an overnight success like that, you almost feel pressure to keep it going because this is all you've known and it most makes you more tempted to steal and take shortcuts and do the self-aggrandizing and you know um gimmicky gimmicky stuff whereas like uh-huh. older people who has been like, a longer slower road like on on friday night we hung out with uh another friend of the show uh michael r jackson he has an
0: upcoming broadway musical coming called strange loop any yeah, I feel, I feel like I didn't get to talk to him for long enough because I was too busy talking Adam down from his high. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you had your hands full. But when um uh his first su- big success, like people call him an overnight success because they went from not hearing about him to suddenly he's everywhere. But it took him 20 years to write that play. He was talking about it, mm-hmm. you know. So he's like, he got success like, you know, uh, coming close to 40. So he he can't get hired off some of his own parts because he's you
0: know, had a lot of times where it's like, I oh, don't am I gonna make it? What's gonna happen? No, and, and the know? conversations we've had with him, like he's incredibly grounded. So yes, like exactly. that's that's somebody that's somebody who I mean I haven't even um I don't know what his play is. I hadn't I mean, I knew that he had a play upcoming. Um but I would I would hop on a plane and travel back to New York City to watch whatever he produces because just the way that I've heard him talk about like the art of theater tells me that he's not that interested in being an icon or a celebrity himself. He, he, he makes work for the sake of like for its own sake. That's, that's just what he enjoys doing. Um, and people like that and like him to me as well. Like he's like a human dictionary where it comes to film. Those are the kind of people's opinions that I trust and whose work I would eagerly consume because I know that it's not out of, like it's not created out of a sense of ego. It's created out of I have this idea in my head, and I have to do it and make it good. And I want people to enjoy it. I want them to take something away from it because that's what I do as an artist.
1: Yeah, and I have an idea, and the idea is bigger than me, as opposed yeah. to the idea exists in service of making me bigger. So, you know, so like you know, as opposed to like for example, uh, current Enfant terrible of uh, Broadway's um,
0: Jeremy O'Harris.
1: Yeah yeah Jeremy O'Hanlon. Yeah, man, nobody like really I would I would
0: never it. go to New York City to watch Slave Play, but you know, you you tell me that you tell me when Michael R. Jackson's play is coming out, I will eagerly hop on a flight and go see it.
1: Yeah, but nobody talks about
0: Slave Play or, the, or like
1: like no one really talks about. Well,
0: slave no, I, no, people whatever. talk about it now, but that's because they hate it.
1: Well, like oh, no, there's there's I mean, not, I mean, yeah. By, by, but even the
0: content of it, like people like it.
1: All they can say is it gave me a lot to unpack or I'm processing. But then they never come back and tell you what they got from the
0: processing because there's nothing. There's was nothing I in the car with you? Was phone? I? No, I wasn't with you when we were talking about that. When somebody says I'm processing, it doesn't actually mean that there's anything to unpack or process. What it means is they don't actually want to say in front of other people what they're thinking in that moment. So they're trying to think of a way to say it um, in a socially acceptable way. What they'll do is they'll wait till after everyone else has come out with their opinion and then piggyback off of it for the most part and add a couple of critiques here and there. Nobody ever, quote unquote, unpacks anything. People have an idea as to what it is that they've just seen or heard. And I think oftentimes they're just too pussy to say it out loud.
1: Yeah, but I think in the case of uh, Slampey, there is nothing to think about. It's just empty. So it's like they're just, <laughs> yeah, just kind of stall- stalling for someone else to say what they thought so they could piggyback off it but because it's empty no one ends up saying what they thought it's just a big circle jerk of people just all taking turns stalling because uh no one must be the first person to you know uh expose that they got nothing out of it little realizing that no one else got anything really substantial out of it either exactly you know? uh josh uh, Pree, feel free to unmute
5: hi um my voice isn't uh very clear but i hope you can understand me. Um, no, I, you sound, I got you. It's not pretty. You good. Sound good. Oh, thanks. I've been mean, I've been just recovering from uh, corona, so. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, <yeah>. you, you <laughs> certainly
0: have a voice for radio. So I wouldn't I wouldn't discount yourself that quickly.
5: Oh, thank you. Uh, maybe it's making me sound better. Um, I wanted to say that uh, when you mentioned Will Smith in terms of uh, Donald Glover, I remember in an interview he's obsessed with um Jaden Smith. Actually, like uh, Donald Glover, like I think in like 2016 or. 17 he was like in an interview he was talking about how he's like yeah i can't i can't stop thinking about like you know it's the first time like you know someone in the like entertainment industry is growing up with like you know uh you know a silver spoon in their mouth and they're from they're black and like i can't like he wants to like get into that psyche and then i looked at the interview that you guys posted and i was just like this is like he's trying to be jaden smith from 2014 on twitter or something like there's or this has like a very like Arts rich kid art school feeling to it. I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, you're you, you're a successful artist. You have no reason to like portray yourself in this like uh, try hard way. In my opinion, but yeah, that's that's all I have to say. You know,
0: it's it's kind of wild. Is I don't even think it's try hard. I think it's actually a little bit worse than that. It's and and T's alluded to this before. It's this idea that if you try hard at a thing, you, you're actually a loser. So like if you Uh, put effort into a thing that you are passionate about and enjoy, there's something kind of loserly about you because you might not actually succeed. So the key to it is to like their version of try hard is to uh, publicly look as, as hard as they can. Like they're not trying. Like I put no effort into this whatsoever and it still succeeded. So like, and, and that's why they can't stick to any one area like he can't stick to writing or stand-up comedy or rap music he has to do a little bit of everything because if it looks like he's dedicating all of his effort to one particular thing then he's he's actually the try hard when the real try hard thing in that milieu is to do everything while appearing to do nothing
1: yeah, yeah it's, like, it's like affected apathy you know i mean but, but that's how the internet is like social media everyone you know tries to act like they care the least. Uh, they try to hard, they, they try really hard to look like they're not trying hard.
5: It's weird. It's it's like, I like that. I think that's like, I, while you guys were talking, I was just, and I think Trayvon said some really, really great stuff. Um, and I was thinking, like, the internet actually might be poisonous for people at the top. Like, he, like like you said, Donald Glover's done music, he's done comedy, he's done, like, it, like, show running. Like, he hasn't fail, like, seemed to fail. Like, he tries everything, like, for the, he gets it out the gate, which, like, I think that maybe is really terrible for an artist's psyche. <clears throat> like, you need failure, like, on some level, like, or you need to know that you can fail. Um, and I think, Yeah.
1: I think you need a combination of that, but I think you also need some kind of life experience, right? And what's he been doing? Like while while in college, he lands a writing gig on you know one of the top sitcoms um, on on the air, and it's like he just jumps from success to success, and he's never had. I mean, you can say this to a degree even more for someone like Jaden Smith, like they've never had real life to. Draw from really, except for like you know maybe the really early years of his life. So I have to imagine, he probably has to be kind of chameleon like and latch on to the experiences of other people to know what it's like to be. I mean, has he ever like had to like heat up ramen noodles with his homeboys and split a five-person apartment, and you know do all types of like you know things that he's talking about? But but look at his show Atlanta. It's about being broke, you know. And and not saying that everybody has to live something to write it because i think like the idea that everyone has to have the right identity to write about something or have to have lived something to write about it i think is kind of poisonous in and of itself like actors are supposed to pretend to be other people writers are supposed to enter you know other people's heads and other people's you know situations that they haven't lived themselves but i mean in in his case I don't think he's ever written anything that is about himself. Like I'm kind of curious, what would it be like for him to write a show about a guy who just everything came easy for, you know? But I feel like he wouldn't do that because he kind of feels that his story is not. That's that's giving the game name. away. Yeah, it was giving the game away. I mean, say same thing with Lena Dunham. Like Lena Dunham is a character that's supposed to be an analog of her, but it's somebody who's like um, a lower class version of her, like. It's somebody who doesn't have any connections in the industry. It's not, it's not a true analog of her, even though it has her name uh, yeah. actually actually it doesn't have her name it, 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 the name's called Hannah but Hannah's basically sounds like Lena you know but but I'm interested in like you know what if Lena Dunham wrote a story instead of trying to be the quote unquote voice of a generation because you are not typical of whatever generation you're writing about so trying to be this voice of a generation like cosplay as a struggling uh, hipster and Get props for supposedly being semi-autobiographical. Like, let me know what it's like to have three famous friends and you just get easy meetings at um, HBO, and you walk in with a post-it note, which is the true story of how she got girls. She walked in with a post-it note and said, "Hey, I have some ideas," and you know, because her mom's famous and she knows famous people, they're like, "Oh, sure, well, here's the show, flesh it out," you know? Yeah, so it's like, I don't know. I think I think a lot of times, in addition to failure, you need some kind of life experience that you're willing to own you know and i don't think he really wants to own his life experience of everything kind of coming easy for him and he tries to bring up like well i didn't grow up rich i, I grew up poor or whatever we were next to kind of projects i'm like well maybe that's true but you kind of lucked into a lot of you've stuff been you've been
0: rich game. for a lot longer than you've been poor It'd be, it's
5: yeah. kind of it's interesting because it could be a kind of like It'd be great, actually, if he looked into that because it could be like a modern retelling of the Midas touch uh, with a curse that like everything works out for you. Like that there's something like, I don't know, that the world feel, might feel less real if, you know, there's no, no there's no other shoe that ever drops for you. There's no ever never a consequence to any of your actions. Um, there's something interesting I, to that.
1: And maybe you live your life just constantly... Um... Having something to prove, like you know, like you have to believe that you really are a genius, and you keep waiting. Like, like something that's kind of interesting is how one of the reasons people self-sabotage is because falling off the first rung of a ladder uh, hurts a lot more than falling off the top of the ladder. And sometimes people, you know, uh, if they don't fall early, then they get scared about you know what if I get to the top because not just it not only hurts more. Uh, to fall from the top of the ladder, but when you're on the top of the ladder now. Everyone's looking at you. You know, yeah. if you if you fall off the first rung, like only five people might see it. You know, but once you start climbing up a ladder, then more and more people start looking. And then when you get really high, suddenly everyone stops what they're doing. People tap each other because look how high that person's going. And now if you fall and addition to hurting more, you have every single eyeball uh, in the place on you to see you uh, fall and. That's interesting themes in and of itself that you can um, write about. But I feel like a lot of these new artists are really afraid to be transparent. They're like superficially, they want to insert themselves um, into everything, but they don't actually want to examine themselves in depth. It's just this kind of shallow self-exploration. So they're excessively self-obsessed, but incredibly self-unaware at the same time. Like They think about and talk about themselves 24-7 but have zero penetrating insight into themselves at the same time it's a very weird paradox i feel and um we're going to move on to the next person because yeah, no there's problem. a lot a, a lot of people in the queue but as usual you're welcome to come back up Jasper oh. roy's uh happy to have you
5: oh thank you so much have a great guy cool. night guys
1: good night hey lance how's it going also quick this to... Quick disclosure, even though this ended up being all about Donald Glover, if anybody wants to jump to the BLM topic, it's welcome. You're not going to be disrupting anything. So if anybody in the audience is like, damn, I kind of really want to talk about the BLM and buying large mansions, and now they've gone to this Donald Glover uh, deep hole, now I feel like it's, it's weird. By all means, you're welcome to do a topic switch if you want to. Feel free to come up to the queue.
0: And with that being said, Lance, uh, feel free to unmute. The unmute button, by the way, is lower right hand corner. Should I take a microphone?
1: I have to remember to do that because it's it's important.
0: Yeah, a lot of people miss that. All right, Lance, you got like five seconds, and then we would have to move on to the next person.
1: I believe I I, I believe in you, Lance. Oh, there you go. I knew you were going to do it, Lance. There we go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. A couple quick thoughts. Mm -hmm.
6: So, on art. I think it's underrated in terms of how important it is to people. An interesting fact, everybody knows about cave drawings, but they saw handprint type things like finger paint, and it was kids. So it was like a family thing. Now it wasn't like that they, that, you know, cave if you want to call them that, you know, ancient peoples were always in dire need every minute that they had to take time out of desperate times 24 seven to do art they didn't exactly have necessarily a lot of leisure time. So I think it was a very high priority. Like once your basic needs are met, I think humans need art. They need to do it and stuff like that. That's one thing you were talking about art. Um, now on the whole thing with your, the BLM was the headline, but the say, I'm not familiar with the Donald Glover thing, but do y'all know what happened to Monique as far as people, you know, selling out or, you know, being rewarded for, you know, doing, doing things that they're not necessarily comfortable doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, we, there was a lot of conversations about monique and it's funny that um like for a lot of people monique is almost like a uh i don't know like a monique is a lot of people's cause celeb in that they feel that she was like shortchanged by netflix and you know she was done dirty by oprah and by lee daniels and a whole lot of people but um oh sorry was it lee daniels
5: yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So, uh, no, but a lot of people say that, but at the same time, like, they'll engage in the exact same kind of politics and behavior that got her shortchanged in the first place. And I also find that, like, some, like, when she opens her mouth and says things and she, like, you know, expresses her politics at length, like, I don't think that a lot of people who champion Monique actually really believe in Monique. I think what's more, um, I think what's more, like, uh, relevant or uh i guess like what really affects them is the idea of being professionally shortchanged, and not so much that i like I, I that, that people would label her difficult to work with and have all kinds of things to say about her and they might that might resonate with them but monique's integrity and unwillingness to like compromise herself in order to get ahead professionally, I don't think that that actually, like that's not that's not a behavior or the type of integrity they have.
1: Did you hear? Did you hear the latest uh developments?
0: No. What? Oh, I, I heard you, that uh, her and uh, Lee Daniels have like buried the hatchet, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that's about.
1: Did uh, not only publicly bury the hatchet, but she's going to replace Octavia Spencer in the Netflix thriller, um Demon House, which he may or may not be working on. She would oh, okay. go uh, I'm she sorry, Lance, what were, what were you saying? She was blacklisted. Lance, you were saying so? They all threw her under the
6: bus and treated her like garbage. Steve Harvey,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, she, she was blacklisted and it seems like she might be um, getting unblacklisted because Lee Daniels... She uh, yeah, yeah, so she, so she kind of... In a way, I guess they kind of broke her, I guess, because uh, now Lee Daniels is hiring her to uh, be the lead in uh, one one of the new... Um, get out, get out! Ripoffs. This sounds like another uh, racial horror thing, um, done by Lee Daniels. I can only imagine how bad the politics are going to be in that. But yeah, I feel kind of sad. I feel kind of sad about, about listening to Q talk about how you know she was. But I kind of don't blame her because what's the point of being the only person to kind of die on a hill when all these people are turning their back on you and not you know backing you backing you up? You know, and and if, and if she, she well, did this kind of... of battle, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, 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 go ahead. Oh, oh no, no. I, I was going to say, if she did manage to kind of score some kind of win, all these people would come out and try to reap the benefits of that of that win who weren't... Like, 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 like my pet... We, we
0: set up for you, so let us win our beak a little.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, even, mean, even though they didn't stand yeah. up for her. Yeah, yeah. because so they... they, they like, I think yeah. the got of my nerves was all these people who would come out and just talk shit about, you know, her thing so like cat williams came out and he was like yeah monique this is why what you're doing is dumb i sold all these things if you have the talent and then all these different like people tiffany haddish uh, came and kind of said like they offered me this much money and they were trying to say like monique was whining about nothing i'm like okay even if you for whatever reason personally think that she's full of shit or she didn't deserve the money just stay quiet like why do you have to go where white people can hear you and just blab why you think uh, she's, like, who are you doing that for? Like, if I thought if, if Q was out there fighting for some kind of payday, and I was thinking, like, Q, you're kind of delusional with, you know, that number you're asking for, I'm just gonna shut the fuck up. I'm gonna keep that to yeah. myself. I, yeah. Why, why am I gonna go, what do I get out of doing that? Like, you know? It's, it's, it's weird. And that really kind of turned me off to Black Hollywood seeing that
6: well, right, you know, and, and, and you don't know me from Adam, but college educated, very activist, black folk, you know, called me a, 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 a John Brown because he hugged me in the South Side, you know, in the area in the hood and he was with a black friend, whatever, whatever. Okay. What I'm saying though is, so yeah, it's important that. It, so it just it bothers me because I'm I'm, I'm as down as a white guy could be I guess if you, if you could say without pretending to know everything to know about what it's like to be a black person. Okay, but what I'm saying is though what they did was so horrible because and here's the problem and I'll, I'll tie it into the Jim Carrey and the BLM not just BLM but the whole statement that he made about the Will Smith thing. If I may
1: for a second. Yes, please.
6: Yeah. Of course, yeah, please. So what they did was they told her to sell out and on in public on air, you know, how that all went, the whole thing went down, with Oprah, who was on the phone with her a lot, That all of a sudden, when she said, please, I don't know what you're going to do with my brother on your show, thanks for letting me know, I'm not happy, but go ahead, kind of, but please don't do with, uh, have my mother on, you know, about that part, right, with Oprah.
1: Yeah, 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 I, I, I see that okay, you do this because, yeah, yeah,
6: so for mm-hmm. them to, and this is, the problem. this is what, when Jim Carrey said, we're not in the cool club anymore. It's like Oprah for years has been very kind of conservative ish. And you don't stay on those corporate shows. They're being fed lined from the corporate producers. It's really crazy. And that's the problem, is that I'm old enough to remember Muhammad Ali and the Muslim thing then with Malcolm X who was assassinated. You know, it was pretty it was pretty hairy. It wasn't nine eleven. But Muslims were considered, and there was a lot of violence, there really was a lot of kind of violent elements of, you know, uh, you know, at any cost. And so the 60s were so, uh, uh, you know, violent and with riots and the whole thing. And so what I'm saying is that these people, and this is what makes it so really sickening to me, is Oprah and Whoopi Goldberg, they're going to be front and center, to quote Martin Luther King. He's thankful to him, I'm me. They are so far removed from anything remotely down like that. They're not sacrificing anything. They're not doing anything courageous. They're all selling out, and they're all just playing the game and dancing to the white man's tune. Steve Harvey said that in no uncertain terms. He said, that's right. The white man controls the big bucks. I'll dance in there, too. And that's why he's got 10 shows, and, not because and, he's
1: so talented. And you know, everybody got on him about that, but I'm like, at least he's honest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's Give <laughs> not... me credit for that. He... I'll take an honest and sellout Monique, over a fake revolutionary uh, any day. Yeah, and he said that to
6: Monique. Monique on his show, face to face, and and Oprah said that when she was on the, when Monique was on the View. Well, I could have schooled you. And Monique says, yeah. "I'm not going to that school. I'm not looking for that diploma." Oh, uh, whoopee! I'm mm. going to be with my kids, and I'm going to prioritize. So that's why it was like even after all this stuff happened, this is in you know, a way after it, and well, I could have schooled you on how to how to deal with. You know, basically, because what, here's what Oprah told her, right, was leave your husband. You got to leave it. They were completely in love. There was not even a, there wasn't even a stupid rumor about them not getting along with her husband, Monique and her husband, right? And what, you know, that part, right, where she was asked to do the secondary, uh same junket over in Tand with the luxury first a weekend, then they upped it to a week of luxury four-star meals and everything for free because she would. Because they said every city she went to to do her contractual, you know, uh, uh, promotion for uh, what she won the Academy Award for *Precious*, every city she went to to do her contractual, you know, promotion in Chicago or L.A. or Philadelphia or New York, there was lines around the corner. You know, it, they could tell that it was even becoming more popular because of her zeal and the, the honesty and all the stuff. The way she promoted it was just so honest and true and professional that they said, wow, you're really even increasing the sales. They admitted that to her Lionsgate. Said, now please go to Cannes for free. Now please go to Cannes for free. We'll give you a weekend of four-star treatment, you know, hotel and food. No, thank you. They said, well, how about a week? This is her manager said that. And the husband said, you better take this because, you know, this is the best you're going to get. you got to dance with these guys, too, if you ever want to work in the future and get movie deals. So they told her. This is why it's like a racket, it's like the mafia. It's not a question of turning down the protection and the and the loveliness. No, if you turn down the goodies, then we'll destroy your business. And they did that. Oh story. yeah. You see what that you I'm, be, uh, I'm
1: curious. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. I'm gonna go say i am gonna, gonna say I'm curious about what happened behind the scenes to cause this um patch up, you know, and I guess we're not gonna know for a while if if ever, but um, she I was like, way too. I after he you think Lee Daniels what?
6: I think he just probably had cross paths with Monique and said, "Why they why you know finally?" I think he just had a come to Jesus moment. He had no reason to do it otherwise. Mm. I
1: really think. So,
0: so
1: I so you think Lee Daniels is the one that kind of bent to her and not vice he versa. Really that I hope so. I hope that's the He's case. The
6: only one I have so far, and they didn't have a negotiation or like you know beforehand where she said, "Yeah, you know, maybe I could have handled things differently." It was, a, as far as I know, it was a one hundred percent. If that's true, I was wrong.
1: that's beautiful. Right. If that's true, that's, that's yeah, if, that's true <laughs> that's, if that's true, that's beautiful because that means that you know her uncompromising stance actually paid off, and I feel like that doesn't happen enough anymore. And I'm hoping that theory of yours is the actual truth that she kind of maybe know, touched something in his heart.
6: I, I don't know enough about it, but I don't know if there was anything else, you know, other yeah, than, you know, nothing that I know of. But, you know, what okay, uh, Tim Carrey would say, just to make the final point, is what Tim Carrey would okay. say, we're, we're not in the cool club anymore. And this goes back to art and how important art is. Historically, if you go back to Marilyn Monroe, okay, she was married to Joe DiMaggio, a very stand-up guy. He wasn't just a party guy, drank a lot. He was very straight to marry Marilyn Monroe. She had a cap of character beneath the, the party girl or whatever we think of Marilyn Monroe. And she married Arthur Miller, playwright, rock and roll star. Truman Capote was so outwardly like flaming gay. He was the most famous person on the planet. So artists were rock star, not just rock and roll people, but people in movies, et cetera. And here's what Jim Carrey meant. When everybody just didn't say anything or didn't boo or whatever, then the Academy let him stay. Then they gave him a standing ovation. That's what Jim Carrey meant when he said, we're not the cool club anymore, because that really does directors and people in movie, you know, movie people and people in media. They affect society. They make changes. They, you know, whether it's something like a comedy like, a, a, you know, Dr. Strange Love or whether it's serious movies like Gentlemen's Agreement about anti-Semitism, where a guy's a reporter and pretends to be Jewish. But all these movies and people that are in the elite celebrity status, it's not just, you know, infotainment and all that. And we care about their personal life. You know, with all their flaws, and some of them were just drunks, and some of them were assholes, some of them were right wing, you know, whatever. But, you know, they were the elite that kind of led the charge for society. And Dr. Jim Carrey meant, we're, we're not the cool club anymore if we're going to give standing ovations to that kind of behavior. But I'm, that's that.
1: You know, I'll, uh, I'll thank you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Lance. I really appreciate uh, your take. And uh, I want to say about Lance, that's the difference between being a uh, old person and being an elder like i felt like there was a lot of wisdom in that in that call i actually appreciate uh
0: appreciate hearing hearing that yeah i i feel like i could i could sit and talk to lance for hours
1: yeah exactly i want to keep the queue going just to be fair to everybody but i was really enjoying what what lance had to say so uh, yeah please please come back in the future lance i have a lot of things i want to pick your brain about but uh hey hey blenny uh feel free to unmute
7: hi there can you hear me
1: yeah, yep. can hear yep. you. You sound great. Yeah,
7: I, uh, I enjoyed Lance's. Uh... So do you think that this um, BLM mansion, which is what I want to talk about, um, got the correct amount of press coverage? But before you answer, I just want to point out, I was discussing this with my family this morning, as a matter of fact, that there's this trend. Maybe it's a 200-year-old trend or a 400-year-old trend, but in the last year in the New York Times, there were two articles um, I suffered through the New York Times because Noam Chomsky told me 30 years ago that I could get the truth between the lines. Uh, sometimes you can get the truth by what's omitted, but sometimes you can get the truth just from what's there, and there were these two articles in the last year Um with eight by ten color gloss pictures of uh of the um perps, I guess you could call them <clears throat> about homeless shelters where there was some kind of grift going on and and these people walked away with an entire million dollars or something like that um and it sounded like you know low level corruption in New York City, but it begged me to wonder. In a city like New York City, um, just flush with billionaires, you've got um, lots and lots of column inches in a year dedicated um, to really small time grifting um, neighborhood homeless shelters where the proprietors maybe set up a business on the side so that they could also profit from washing the sheets or something like that. And it seemed like an awful lot of time and energy spent on something so almost negligible, you know, like a small town crime blotter uh, level of money, considering the levels of money that are in play in New York city with all its real estate developers. Um, And then uh, what caused me to talk about it this morning was I was looking at a a kind of announcement PR thing that there's this new Basquiat show opening up in New York City organized by his sisters um and they're putting up some 300 works they 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 did what sounds like an amazing uh curatorial job of sort of setting up what his life was like and so on it's interesting uh I think, to any fan of Basquiat or even just culture in general. But the New York Times had to slip in one paragraph, uh, which started something to the effect of, but there seems to be a profit motive as well. And they went on to list the admission prices of what seems like uh, a really sort of generous show that was no doubt very expensive to produce. And it just made me think, like, these two sisters... They could sell five percent of their holdings and be multi-hundred millionaires tomorrow. Literally, you know. Why did the New York Times have to zoom in on this one little detail of of, of the work they're doing? And I wonder. Uh, I, I I don't I don't know you as well. Uh, I was I was interested in what Q has to say about this, um, Trevor. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I'll get to know you soon. Um, uh, about this this omission of, you know, if you wanted to uncover grift in New York City, you just look into the Port Authority or like, you know, a- any, <laughs> basically any industry and you uncover grift that's way more substantial than uh, the million dollars these people uh, maybe got away with. And even weirder was, you know, why would they for the official portrait of their own uh, hit piece. Uh, so, you know, you know, that makes you wonder what the New York Times was up to. How did they get these people to go stand for portraits uh, and, and um, uh, participate in their own, you know, shafting? uh so wait
0: who who who's sitting?
7: Uh, uh yeah the 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 homeless shelter grifters that the new york times decided to attach themselves to in two separate articles mm-hmm. one one was a black woman one was a black man they, they and they each had portraits from the times
0: you know the Times sent a photographer out um i haven't i haven't seen this one do you want to do you have a link to it that you might be able to drop into the chat
7: uh i'm not sitting in front of a computer but i could easily find it yeah
0: okay yeah um, i haven't seen that myself
7: Yeah. No, there were two. I mean, it was, it was weird, you know, like, uh, so, uh, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get your thoughts about that in the context of this BLM mansion, you know, maybe it's newsworthy, Uh, $6 million mansions, kind of gross, you know, it, it, it sounds bad. You know, it's, again, it seems like a sort of small claims court. Okay. Maybe it's a little worse than that, but, uh, but, you know, at the same time that, massive, massive grift is happening in this country. Do you, do you feel like it's, I mean, I, I, would be astonished if you didn't feel like it wasn't a distraction mechanism for people to not actually get pissed off that we're sending javelin missiles, uh, to Nazis in the Ukraine, uh, you know, each one, the price of a small home, we're just dropping them like M&Ms on a, a country in the middle of war. Um, you know, that should piss everyone off. There's no articles about that, obviously, and that's not surprising to me, but these little these little articles about grifting and most especially grifting in black life, right? This seems to be a thing that just keeps showing up, but without any real consequential sums of money, uh, maybe, you know, it's sort of like atrocity porn, but
1: Uh, (laughs) Uh, um okay i think i get what you're uh trying to say what i would say about about that right is Mm -hmm. i think i think it's not really just about the sums of money compared to the ukraine because i think it's kind of apples and oranges what i mean what i mean by that is the scale of what's happening in the ukraine and all those places internationally is Huge, and that's like to the tune of you know trillions of dollars of whatever's happening over there. But to the people on the ground in a place like Ferguson uh, and the families who have lost people, um, that's six million dollars. That ninety million dollars, and that ninety million dollars is only what they accounted for since um, what they accounted for since um, George Floyd. That's what they accounted for. Some people speculate that there's as much as like billions um at play in what's been donated to through various movement for black lives organizations, not just Black Lives Matter, and that whole um woke ally industrial complex. I mean, for the people on the ground, that can change a lot of lives. That can create a lot of social programs, that can do a lot of things. And I feel like one audience or one group who's being exploited in one case does not kind of overlap with the other one like I feel like the people that are affected by Ukraine and those type of things are not the same people who are being shortchanged and mad about the black lives matter thing like like, like, I, like I, I agree the sums at play might seem inconsequential I'm sorry I'm going to have to mute you real quick because just like background noise But um, was this man like
0: is he is he he, busy safe cracking or something? What's going on back there?
1: Yeah, yeah, something was 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 happening crazy over there in the back. But um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I think it's I think, but I think the most important thing about Black Lives Matter that makes it deeper than you know six million dollars. Like again, it's all a matter of scope. If you compare it to like what's being spent on war under Ukraine, yeah, it's nothing, is paltry. But if you compare it to what Mike Brown's father got or what uh. Tamir Rice's mother, Samiria Rice, got it's and um, what they need to create social programs in a lot of these places, like you know, ninety million uh, unaccounted. That for could, that's the thing is,
0: like that could change a lot of people's lives. and I think that's kind <clears> of <throat> what gets lost when we're talking about the difference between millions and billions and perhaps even trillions of dollars. Uh, when we're talking about like, you know, we, we would say like we get we get into the area of like a trillion dollars when we're talking about total defense spending. We get into billions when we talk about, uh, you know, foreign aid and military spending um, uh, in terms of, like, uh, using it for things like what they call lethal aid uh, and fomenting coups abroad. And then millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars when it comes to community improvement. Um, and, and like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think it, it misses people's attention when... Something like you know four or five or six million dollars is spent. Um, I've even seen people like dismiss the six million dollar mansion as if like you could spend six million dollars by accident. And I think that's because people don't have a sense of scope as to what things cost and what kind of difference x amount of dollars can make. Six million dollars can actually make a hell of a lot of difference in certain communities, and depending on what it is that you're you're trying to accomplish.
1: And something um, weird six million dollars to... and yeah. And something weird that I think has happened too, ironically enough, by making themselves into celebrities, people have started applying celebrity math to them. So it's like people right. don't even think about them as activists anymore. They've made celebrity activism and the celebrity part of celebrity activism such a normalized thing that people. I heard some people say like, "Well, she's she's in Hollywood. Six million dollars for somebody in Hollywood is." is nothing but like why is she in hollywood she's in hollywood off of her activism like like people like oh she has a deal with warner brothers and all this stuff and it's like okay whether or not she has a deal with warner brothers um, there's still 90 million dollars unaccounted for that she can just dispel all the speculation by just showing us where the 90 million dollars went which she won't and the other thing is like that deal that she has um that adjunct professor job that she has, that um all these things she has, she got them off the back of her activism. Like like, like they hired her on TV shows to write for an activist character and, and to help with the activist storyline. They hire her um to produce on HBO um a brand new eyes on the prize. She's teaching how to do social media activism at USC. Like like um even if you could prove that she didn't get it off the um off the donations, um, whatever private career, and that's what I think makes it even more egregious is that so many people have eaten off this in multiple ways, not just off the donations off these dead black bodies, but the whole uh, complex of careers that have been built off of, um, you know, because Black Lives Matter basically is an entertainment aesthetic now. There's a, Like Rita said about an article that was really annoying, she said that, you know, the article they Black Lives Mattered up the article. What she meant was that it was full of all the annoying jargon, catchphrases, and you know, like Black Lives Matter is a collection of phrases, it's a uh, aesthetics, it's um trauma talk and and you know, a way to dress and act and, and everything. And and the last thing I would say is the most important thing, I think even more than the six million dollars and all that stuff is the amount of spontaneous, grassroots, revolutionary rage that these people were able to diffuse and dissipate. And I think that money, that $6 million, that $90 million, that hundreds of million, that billion, whatever the number is, what people see when they see that number is blood money. Like, you know, the 30 pieces of silver, people don't get mad at. Judas because the money is particularly high it's just no matter what that blood money was it was too much and if anything the fact that it's small should make it even worse like say the six million dollars say you could prove to me that it was an inconsequential sum then that makes it even worse that you siphon all this grassroots rage all this um, you know one of the few times in my lifetime I've seen people in the post civil rights era really seeming ready to wanna uh storm the ramparts, you know, to uh take scalps, you know. It's gonna be hard to get that spontaneous opportunity, um again. And the fact that uh if you can prove to me that's a small amount, that just makes it even more more disgusting that um and I think that's what people see when they see that six million dollars. They see, they see um, blood money, and uh, yeah, that's that's the last thing I, I, I want to say about it. And uh, I'll, I want to see if you have any other thoughts on it, Q. Before we go to Andy,
0: no, no, we can we can let Andy go ahead. Okay, great.
8: Hey, what's happening, guys? Um, that was really good. I, I agree. I mean, I also think um, just to kind of piggyback on what T was saying, like I think also like the. If there's sort of an interesting, uh, like, dynamic with the Black Lives Matter reporting, or, or like the, the just like the critical reporting in that there, there really isn't. It's almost like you're allowed to be critical about the money, and and they're sort of like they've opened the the a crack where it's like, okay, that's the thing that it's okay to report about, but you still can't. And correct me if I'm wrong. If you've seen this, you still can't report critically about what they actually did or or, or the actual ad uh, activism. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's almost like the money thing is like, is the allowed. um, And I I feel like maybe this is like a a bad analogy, but like, it's kind of similar in like, um, you know, war criticism. It's like, you can say, Oh, like the Iraq war was, prosecuted incorrectly and we did these things wrong but like they wouldn't let you say the whole thing was like a war crime and that it was like a crime of aggression or whatever so i I feel like that's been kind of interesting and i think just to like kind of maybe what the caller was saying before is like part of the reason why the 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 grift is seen as important is it's sort of a stand-in for the illegitimacy of the of the organization in general, but I think I think liberal media society hasn't gotten to the point where they're willing to to say that about the organization and their actual mission. I, I don't know what you guys think about that.
1: I feel like liberals are very much into because a lot of them are you know nerds who went to college and and were raised <laughs> you know procedure and respectability. A lot of times when they talk about stuff, they get mad about the procedural aspects of stuff. Like, like, like it's the very, it's the very Aaron Sorkinist type of thing. Like, you know, you did the crime of having a bad argument, and and they make, they make the Iraq War about you know the illegitimacy of the, the argument, the kind of an egghead thing, and not you know the human cost of it. Like people really talk about the amount of vets that happened, but just about if the war was. Illegitimate from a procedural standpoint, you know what I mean. And if they circumvented, like I think like liberals are very rules oriented, and breaking yeah, totally. rules, breaking rules, and breaking the quorum are the worst crimes that you can do. If you do something heinous where you followed all the right rules, so it was technically legal, um, it's much easier for them to live with that than the fact that you. Um, Broke broke the rules, and now you can't trust the, um, the system and how things are are supposed to work. So it is kind of interesting that you know it's, it's about it's not about all the other stuff that a lot of people complain about. With Black Lives Matter about the fact that they've accomplished like nothing. There's there's no actual tangible win that you know you can you can point to. Like you know, for example, if they could show where all the money went to. But it's still accomplished like jack shit. Like not a single person was prosecuted. Nobody was helped. But you can kind of show where everything went. Somehow, in the liberal mind, that would be somehow uh, better. Cause hey, you were just incompetent, but you followed the rules.
8: You <laughs> well, know? I also feel like kind of the. I mean, I almost feel like also the opposite, man. Like if they had if there were actually like a bunch of tangible laws that had gotten enacted and they were like, oh, you know, we got rid of qualified immunity, this or that, like, I almost wouldn't care about the $6 million house, you know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, oh, that kind of sucks. Oh, 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 but, oh yeah, I mean, know, I, go, I feel the same, you know, feel the same way, but, but that's, not, know that's I mean? not how these yeah. people think. Yeah, yeah, I agree no, with you. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, I think that, and the other thing, I mean, I think that's really fucked up too, is that like the stuff that you talked about, like Tamir, what Rice's family, and Mike Brown's family. I mean, the sad thing is, I mean, I feel like I, I'm, you know, white liberals like they really do not give a shit about those people like at all man and and i I mean it's a it it really pains me to say that but it it really is all virtue signaling you know they really fundamentally don't care about those people and i think for her part of the reason why they have that rules procedural fetishism is because they the rules were written for them by them and they benefit from the rule white white you know white you know, professional managerial liberals are the ones that benefit from the rules, you know, and and the NGOs and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's, I don't know, I find that really depressing, just when you really get down to it, like they really, they really don't care about Eric Gardner. They just don't care, man, it's, it's fucked up. And, and I mean, I guess maybe, you know, Black Lives Matter doesn't care either, which is fucked up. But it, you know, for white liberals, it, it it really I don't know. It pains me to to say that.
1: Oh yeah, no, I totally um agree. And just make a quick announcement: we're going to end the queue with um Ty, and I'll just keep reminding people of that uh, as you move up from person to person, so that, you know it doesn't. Yeah, go you, on, can, uh... you can
8: you uh, can you can knock me out, man. That's all I wanted to say because I'll let everyone. Uh, okay, her cool. Head. Thanks a lot. You all guys right. have a good night.
1: You too, Andy. Always appreciate having you. Great, having great you on. discussion. Okay, so um okay i thought i thought blini was gonna come up next oh maybe i have to unmute did you unmute him or something oh i don't know okay but uh kamaria is has popped in next i thought blini was gonna pop in next but um hey kamaria always happy to have you up here uh so you're up here on purpose this time right
9: yeah can you hear me
1: oh yeah yeah we can hear you Mm -hmm. okay thank you um
9: yeah i mean i kind of just wanted to rant a little because I agree totally with what Andy was saying. So much of that energy was just lost. And um, like, I remember being in LA and in BLM LA, you know, right after George Floyd was killed and there was protests everywhere. Like you couldn't even like the meetings were so huge because so many people were interested in getting involved that you couldn't even get into the building there was like people who have to like sit like outside and listen or have to leave, etc. And so and the one of the main things that they were trying to achieve at that exact time was like getting Melina Abdullah on the board of like ethnic studies at the school she taught at. Like during the exact time where all these people are in here trying to oh, do something. No. Yeah, it Seriously? was and yeah, and I was like in the meeting like this is really weird (laughs) but it was an important goal at that time Uh, tell
1: people who she is for people who don't don't know she's prominent in the in the article but uh, um people outside of la might not know she is
9: yeah so she i think she teaches at csu la um and she she's a part of blm la she's a pretty prominent member of blm la and i think i mean she's just like kind of similar like an online type of professor activist type
1: and she also seems to be um the local blm leader that has the most uh swear the most power on par on par with the national like it seems like i hear more about her with alicia garza and and uh patrice Cullors than i hear about uh the the old founder opal Tometi. i feel like opal Tometi is kind of moved on and melina has almost kind of taken her place as the unofficial third third founder so yeah she's she's practically like a like a founder at this point yeah
9: yeah i agree um and to read that article and i think at one point just to hear like the really narcissistic things that they were saying and um you know at that time we were doing a lot of organizing work and you couldn't even get like 10 people to you know like come if the police like do a cop watch or something or come if the police were or if someone was getting evicted and there was like 30 cops showed up you couldn't even get you know 10 people to come and during these BLM protests they were not highlighting any organizations that did work in the area they weren't highlighting anything but electoral stuff and you could see people come to the protests and leave like demoralized because who spoke at the protest? It was like Megan Good, you know, Anthony Anderson. No. It was so superficial, oh. you No.
0: Know? Come on. Seriously? They
9: only, yes. They only highlighted organizations that were directly tied to BLM. And some of those do do good work. Like there's organizations that work that, you know, like students at schools trying to get rid of like RSO, like police officers in their school and things like that. Like they did highlight that, but they, you know, they had to be like directly related to BLM in some capacity for them to highlight, not to say that like all these orgs need shout outs, but you know, if you have all of this energy, like try to get people to do something with it, you know? And yeah, that I, I don't want to go on and on, but I just felt like it's it still to this day, like angers me so much. And for me, it's not it like, yeah, it's not even about the money as much as it is just all of that energy. I mean, even yeah, that moment it, that like, was
1: a hell of a that was a hell of a moment. They dissipated yeah. two moments. A second and one came, like, and the second one almost bigger than the first one, and they kind yeah. of derailed that one too.
9: Yeah, I mean, think about it. This is like the first time, probably since like the '60s, that actual people in the black bourgeois are giving money to a cause that is like an actual, like on the ground cause. You know, not just like something that's philanthropic. Like it's just so. Sad, how much of that energy was
1: lost? So, yeah, and they just use that money to just uh try to climb their own way into the bourgeois. <laughs> like it's like, hey, give us some money so we can join you at the Oscars, which is what they were doing. They they, they appeared. Uh, I think all three all three founders have attended the Oscars and been on stage at the Oscars. That's what they did. With, with that was the first time where I knew it was, it was not going to end well. But yeah, th- th- thank you, Kamari. It's always great to have a uh, on the ground on the ground. Um, voice to, to chime in i always appreciate your contribution so we're going to keep it moving and just to remind again uh well i thought we we're going to end it with ty do we have like ghost am i anyone seeing that kind of like ghost people in the in the queue
0: because no i'm doing I, I i'm i'm the one that uh, kind of bumped Ty ahead
1: <laughs> oh okay i see got gotcha, you <laughs> got gotcha, you
0: got gotcha. you okay cool well, only, i mean i'm just i'm trying to be fair because um uh, and i hope you don't mind uh Blini and lance but uh you know, Ty, Ty hadn't, uh, spoken yet, and hadn't spoken yet, and Kamaria hadn't spoken yet. So I was, I was hoping to give them a shot uh, at the queue first.
1: Oh, I didn't know you could even make someone the next caller. And then, now I see what you did. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Uh, cool, cool.
0: Made an executive decision. Ho- ho- hope you guys don't mind. But, yeah, Ty, you can go ahead.
2: Oh, yeah. Black Fist to uh, queue. Thank you, sir.
0: <laughs> <Jack>. No worries.
2: <laughs> um, uh, hello, Trevor. I haven't met you before. But uh, um, like with the, the input and with the, what the folks are talking about tonight, to piggyback on something that you were saying, and also what Kamari is saying, she's a fellow Angelina, although I live in uh, um, Seattle now, but uh, I still stay close to what's happening in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I made the comment to, <laughs> to someone, Oliver Stone once said that, you know, there were a lot of movies in Hollywood being made that were questioning the narratives about stuff. And uh, then when JFK was made, then they opened the CIA office, right? And so it's like uh, the the siren song of, of, of those type of uh, lures uh, can be too much for certain people to handle, like the folks that we're talking about. But, um, you know, in a broader sense, um, you know, to piggyback on what you're saying, um, give me an idea of what that can look like, for example, of, you know, taking that money and changing lives. And uh, um, so, you know, um, Q likes to talk about the military-industrial complex, and we all know about the firewalls that are between the people who promote their interests, the force multipliers, the people in the think tanks that write for these organizations, and between them and accountability to the rest of us, and that's the that's the money from the interests that they, that they represent. So imagine having a bunch of people that are force multipliers for these causes that have a firewall, because look, these people still have to eat. They still have to pay rent. They still have to pay bills. And when they're getting threatened or to be fired or they can't spend time doing this activism despite the injury because they've got to feed their kids or pick them up or whatever. So imagine some of that money going just to a few places. Okay, who are the people in the local area in Cleveland, in Baltimore, in Los Angeles that you trust? Okay, we're going to pay four of them $75,000 for the next four years to just pound people about changing police union contracts. Because that's where change is made when it comes to police work. Um that's the only place it's really made and that's at the, at, at the and that is at the local institutional level and um just imagine a bunch of those activists being sent through say the highlander program which trained such activists as septima clark and l baker uh back in the 50s 40s and 60s uh and it still exists a lot of people don't know it still exists so taking that fire turning it the right in in, in the proper direction and uh and putting people through these programs lo- who are locally trusted. And just saying, unleash the hounds and go after those folks and then telling these local officials, hey, if you don't change these contracts around, we're going to run somebody against you. And then you multiply that city after city after city. It's not hard. Everybody does the same thing. Who has their interest at heart? Who has their interest advanced by the political process? So um, just wanted to chime in and just kind of give an idea of kind of what that looks like. um, Because, you know, Trevor, Q, you guys both made a broad stroke. And, um, you know, Kamaria talked about the the local injury that that was dissipated. Um, I'll give you another example. Um, I'm connected to uh, quite a few people um, having been a former basketball scout and been in sports media. I know people that are, you know, on the coaching level, in the media, in the NBA and stuff. So I was working sort of my back channels because I worked with a couple of people in the academy to make a program for, uh, attacking police union power with uh, a couple of professors that are friends of mine, and kind of putting feelers out there. And you be you will be shocked at how quickly the gatekeepers to guard some of the people that they had directed me to, you know, active players. Because what we had, we had we, a lot of athletes were the tip of the spears in the in the in the summer of 2020. And we were looking back, we were hoping there was going to be something like that happened in the 60s, as, as Kamaria just mentioned, where people who are at the who are who are the prominent of black prominence of black entertainment um black, uh black social capital uh were actually putting their cachet and their money towards these causes uh and not worrying about what to lose and and sure enough uh that was sheep herded into getting kamala into the into the chair as the, as the, as the as, in, in the white house um and um and of course, you know you got these young men that are—they they, they had a lot of energy, but you know now they're doing photo ops, right? And and so um, that's all I really had to add uh, to the uh, to the discussion. So. Yeah,
0: thank you very much. Appreciate uh, appreciate the, uh, the comment. Sorry, uh, T. Seems like you were about to go speak.
1: Oh no, I was just saying I was just saying thanks, but I realized my mic was off.
0: Okay. Yeah. No worries. Um, now, uh, Blini and uh lance did you have something to add or should we should we call it a wrap because we've been on for um going almost two hours now
1: yeah yeah we want to wrap it up after um after ty no offense to anybody who's in the queue i'm also not sure if they're actually in the queue on purpose because blinny was saying in the chat that he didn't put himself
0: back in the queue so i don't know if it's a glitch no weird well i mean there's a lot of like small bugs happening with uh colin as a the ad features and whatnot, so wouldn't wouldn't surprise me very much. But I am kind of running out of gas. Like it is, it is getting kind of late, yeah. and I've been, I was, uh, you know, aside Traveling. from like partying with you on Friday, um, we also had my kid's birthday party today, and then I got to be up tomorrow morning to take them up to the aquarium. So because their actual birthday is tomorrow morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I have to be at the gym in the morning myself. So uh, yeah, I have to be the early yeah. too. Yeah, we, uh, we we should probably should probably call it now yeah yeah apologies to anybody who was waiting waiting in the queue i think both of us are kind of running out of out of gas but yeah uh follow both of us if you if you don't if you follow one of us but not the other make sure to follow both of us if you came onto the show for the first time tonight and you know you enjoyed it then follow the show as well and share it with people and also feel free to make highlights because when you make highlights it gets shared with us and are going to start putting those highlights on the social media to promote the show. So that's a great thing you can do to help us. So if there's a part of the show that you particularly liked, you can make a highlight of it. And I think it's pretty easy to do. I think you just hit, um, I forget where you hit the button
0: on the. Oh, there's a little, uh, there's a little scissors button when you listen to the show, and uh, that'll make that'll let you uh, clip a highlight out of a moment that you really liked. And, and I will say, like, I I enjoy this uh, platform a lot more than I do Twitter Spaces partially because of the orderliness of having a queue and also because you don't have to like sift through a ton of garbage content before you can actually find something that you want to listen to. So, uh, you know, aside from our show, I mean, uh, feel free to tell uh, friends and and other people about uh, the column platform as well. Um, That's kind of like what we're, we're both banking on. Um, And in addition to that, we do have a uh, Patreon, uh, which is, uh patreon.com forward slash theculture.tv. And uh that pretty much covers like not only um this podcast, but uh covers other uh content as well, including uh the culture podcast that I host with uh Kieran Opal Tuesdays and Thursdays. Also the Drop Squad podcast that I host uh with uh uh with Jamel the creator and uh René Touré on Wednesday evenings. Um, there's also the, uh, the stream that we have on Mondays, uh, the, uh, the political stream that we have on Twitch, YouTube and rumble, the Canuck cast on Wednesday afternoons, as well as the new Frankfurt school podcast and the Negro subversive podcast, which will be coming out in a few short weeks. So, you know, you can support the group for as little as $5 a month. Um, whichever tier you want to hop onto is completely up to you. Um, but if you like our stuff, uh, please support us. Um, everything comes free regardless. We don't have like tiers or anything that's premium. Uh, it's pretty much if you happen to like our content and you want us to be able to continue, then yeah, be happy to support us or be happy if you would support us at uh, patreon.com forward slash the culture Did I catch everything, T?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you, you got everything. And uh, also if you want to check out my side podcast, Champagne Sharks, uh, go to champagnesharks.com and all the links related to that podcast are up there and yeah, that's basically it. I think Sunday night might become our regular night because we were already talking about moving it off of Thursday night anyway. Cause I think, uh,
0: Brianna Brianna's does... Brianna's monopolizing Thursday nights and we've actually got some complaints from people that are like, I can't decide who to listen to, whether it's you or Brianna. So it seems like Sunday nights is actually, I mean, we had a, a pretty healthy listenership tonight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think Sunday night is pretty clear. So we might just keep this night going forward and and go from there. So yeah. So I think you probably have this on Sundays going forward. And everybody, have a good night. Uh we appreciate you spending your night with us and we look forward to doing more shows and having you guys call in. Take care. All right.